0: wonderful wonderful hey listen I have not preached in six weeks did you guys notice that okay like three of you I've said that to a whole bunch of people and they said really Um, they had no idea that I haven't preached for six weeks and and I took six weeks just to focus on some other things that were going on kind of get myself ready for where we were headed but I am grateful to serve on a team where I can take six weeks off from preaching and we don't miss a beat God has been moving the Holy Spirit has been working it has been an incredible thing to witness One of the things that we've done during this break, though, is we made an important hire, okay? We hired a brand new student pastor. We're going to show you a picture up here. This is Joey Tusillo and his wife, Tabby. Um, They're not here yet, but they're going to be here in just a few weeks. And I'm telling you what, guys, this is a slam dunk hire. We're excited about Joey and what he's going to be bringing to the team, his passion for teenagers, his passion for the community. Uh, This is going to be incredible. I want to ask you right now just to begin praying for them. They're looking for a house right now. I I think they're actually um, gonna be out. uh, Their parents are gonna be in the community today looking for a house, Uh, but be praying for that. Pray for that transition, Uh, but most importantly, pray for the impact that they're gonna have over a long ministry here at Northridge because we're excited about what God is gonna do right there, all right? Hey, let's kick off a brand new series today. Uh, The Bible is full of stories that, that you probably know, right? Like whether you grew up in church or not, there's a lot of Bible stories that you just know. Like all of us know about David defeating Goliath with a sling and a stone, right? Like that's not news to anybody. We all know about Noah and the ark and him filling it with animals, okay? If you grew up in church, you probably even know cute little songs about some of the stories in the Bible, like Zacchaeus climbing up in a tree so that he could see Jesus But the thing is, there's there's other stories in the Bible that are less known. There's some stories that are, are really difficult to understand. There's some stories that are bizarre. There's some stories that should never be written into a children's song, okay? Those are the stories that we're gonna be talking about throughout this month. Our series is called Bizarre Bible Stories and Why They Matter. Let me give you a little bit of advance notice on some of the things we're covering, okay? We're gonna talk about murder in the Bible. Um, Animal poop is going to make a presence in this series, okay? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about naked preachers, okay? We're going to talk about them, okay? That's all we're going to do is talk about them. There's lots of good stuff that's going to come up in this series, but more importantly than all of that, what we're going to do is we're going to learn from these stories how we can live our lives today in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. You see, every single one of these stories is in the Bible for a reason, even though you've never heard it before. It's in the Bible for a reason. We're going to find out why. Sound good? All right. Listen, you guys are a clappy bunch. I love it. I spent some time on Google this week, and I was researching some of the most unusual weapons that have ever been used in modern history. Okay, you guys pay me for this, by the way. But I was on Google and I was looking this up and I found out that during World War II, the U.S. created a stink bomb that was made out of sulfur, and their goal was to humiliate and demoralize the German army by making them smell like poop. Can you believe that? Like their goal was to humiliate them because of the way that they smelled. It backfired because the person doing the spraying, it sprayed back on them and then they were humiliated and it created this big problem. But can you imagine joining the military and you're issued like poop spray as your weapon of choice? Seems crazy, but I don't know. It gets worse. During the Cold War, the CIA came up with a plan to stick microphones in cats' ears and radio transmitters into their skulls so that they could spy on the Russians. Okay, true stuff. For the first test run, they actually sent this cat out. They called it Acoustic Kitty, okay? Acoustic Kitty was the name of this operation. And they sent the cat out to spy on two men that were sitting on a park bench, but it went terribly wrong because the cat immediately just ran out into traffic and got run over by a car. Who could have seen that coming? This last one is a little less tactical, but I really liked it. In 1988, there was a man who was attacked with an old pumpernickel roll, okay? It was old and it had become so hard they compared it to an anvil. I don't know if the guy died or if he lived, but it hit him in the head. It caused a lot of damage. An investigator from Scotland Yard was quoted as saying, it was the worst case of pumpernickeling he's ever seen. (laughs) Isn't that good? The worst case of pumpernickeling he's ever seen. What's the moral of the story, okay? Is that anything and everything can be used as a weapon if you're properly motivated or funded by the US government. Okay, today we're going to be talking about somebody in the Bible that was properly motivated. Okay, she was desperately committed to using anything and everything within her reach to further God's work on earth. See, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Those of you that have grown up in church or you've spent a lot of time listening to sermons, you're immediately thinking, okay, this woman's going to use a weapon like like her gift of hospitality or her gift of humility, maybe her commitment to prayer is going to be the weapon that God is going to use to change the world. I'm not trivializing any of those things because they're all important, but they would not qualify her for a leading spot in a series about bizarre Bible stories. The weapon she chooses to use today is a little bit more straightforward, and it's a whole lot more gruesome than that. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of background into this story before we read it. The story takes place at a point in, in Israel's history where Israel has done evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a constant pattern, okay? Israel leans into God, then Israel leans away from God. And so at this point in Israel's history, they've rejected God, they've rejected his principles. And so God is doing what God often does. He just steps back and allows them to experience the consequences of those choices, Now, as a consequence of those choices, they fall under the oppression of a king named Jabin and his commander named Sisera. And for 20 long years, the Israelites are under the the violent reign of these two men. But today's story in Judges chapter 4, it takes place at the end of that 20 year period where Deborah, the leader of the Israelite people, she summons a commander named Barak and she says, Barak, I want you to go out and take 10,000 men from six different tribes and I want you to do battle against Sisera and his army. This is how he responds in verse eight. Okay, this is what he says. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Let me just say from the get-go, this is a pretty weak response from the guy who has been tasked with leading God's army, right? I mean, I just want you to imagine with me that, that Abraham Lincoln calls Ulysses S. Grant to the White House, and he says, listen, Ulysses, I don't know what he called him, I want you to go out to the battle lines of the Civil War, and I want you to finish this. I want you to go to war and fight for your country, and Ulysses S. Grant just looked at him and said, I'll go if you'll go wouldn't have gone over very well, right? Let's modernize it a little bit. Let's say you're the manager of a restaurant and you look at one of your employees and you say, I want you to go wash dishes. And they look at you and they say, I'll wash dishes as soon as you come back there and help me. Wouldn't go over. What have you told your kid to take out the trash? And they said, you grab a bag too. Like you get the point, right? This, this isn't a very good response. It doesn't reflect very well on him and it's not going to be received well by Deborah. This is what she says in verse nine. She says, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Listen, the fact that Deborah agreed to accompany Barak suggests that his request wasn't completely outside of the will of God. But in granting it, she declares that God will take the honor from the battle and he will give it to another person. In other words, Barak, because of his hesitation, will no longer be the hero of the story. God is going to take away that title. He's going to give it to another person, an unlikely person, a woman who's yet to be named. Let's see what happens when the battle begins. Verses 14 through 16. It says then Deborah said to Barak, "Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you?" So Barak went down Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, Haguyam, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Listen, this is a powerful scene, and it shows that God is orchestrating all things to see it through. He's orchestrating all of these different events so that his will will come to be. He uses whatever he needs to use so that this army would move into a trap so that Israel could be effective at wiping them out and overcoming the oppression that they've been experiencing. But he's not done orchestrating things just yet because he already told us that that there's going to be another person who steps into this story and that person is going to become the hero. That's what we read next. As Sisera escapes, this is what it says in verse 7. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, "'Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid.' And so he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. "'I'm thirsty,' he said." Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. Listen, Sisera escapes to the tent of an ally where he's met by a woman named Jael. Now, I want you to understand this is the perfect hiding spot. For three different reasons, this is the perfect hiding spot. First, Heber, this woman's husband, has an alliance with the king and this nation, so they're friendly with one another. Second, removed from battle, it was was customary for for people to take care of soldiers and and to protect soldiers. He's, He's now in her tent under her care. And third, last but not least, in that culture, No Jewish soldier would dare enter the tent of a married woman. In this situation, Sisera is safe. Nobody will find him here. And so he lets down his guard. He asks this woman, J.L., he says, can I have some water? She brings him milk instead. She covers him with a blanket. The Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine she turned on some classical music. She reads him a bedtime story. He falls into a deep sleep. There's one detail that I should probably mention. See, in Eastern nomadic tribes like this, it was the women who put up and took down the tents. Why is that important? Well, it means that she was really good with a tent peg and a hammer. These were in her hand, these were nearby, these were things that she was very skilled at using. Look at what happens in verse 21. It says, but Jael, Heber's wife, she picked up a tent peg and a hammer. She went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. I want you to hear this, okay? It doesn't say that she drove the tent peg through his skull and that was it. She drove the tent peg with so much force that it literally nailed him to the ground. I can't wait until somebody asks you what you learned about in church today. Just tell them, I learned that sometimes godly women nail their enemies to the floor. It's in the Bible. Okay, this sermon is called What Was Going Through His Mind, by the way. Now you know why. But can you imagine... Like this woman, she sneaks up and she has to be so incredibly nervous as she has these tools in her hand. She has to be so incredibly strong. She has to be so incredibly afraid of neutrality and half-heartedness that she's willing to do something absolutely crazy to allow God's people to experience victory. This is what Deborah says about her in the next chapter. Judges chapter 5, verse 24. She says, most blessed of woman BJL, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. How many of you want that on your tombstone one day? Most blessed of tent-dwelling women that knows how to use a hammer and a tent peg. Listen, this woman was armed with instruments that were considered domestic tools. And with those tools in her hand, she destroyed the great warrior that the commander of Israel's army had been afraid of. She played a pivotal role in liberating the nation of Israel from slavery and ending the reign of a terrible and violent king. Listen, it was God's will that this would be done, but it was through J.L. that victory was won. It's not bad for a woman with a hammer and a tent peg. What's the moral of this story? Well, go pick up some tent pegs. (laughs) No, don't do that, but write this down. God's work through us is only limited by our level of commitment to him. God's work through us is only limited by our level of commitment to him. Listen, any time, any place, any civilization, any situation, God will work through people that are properly motivated and desperately committed to furthering his work on earth. Listen, his strategy may change. I would argue that in this case, it most definitely has changed. God does not want you to drive a tent peg through your enemies. But all throughout history, from cover to cover in the Bible, throughout all of humanity, God has used normal people like us to accomplish extraordinary things. Listen, let's put some meat on this with a few truths that we can carry with us this week that are going to change the way we live. Here's the first one. God gives extraordinary tasks to unlikely people. God gives extraordinary tasks to unlikely people. See, it makes sense that God would use somebody like Barack. He was a soldier, he was a commander, he was an influential person, he was hand-selected by Deborah. He was publicly commissioned by God. It makes absolutely no sense that God would use somebody like JL. She was just a woman with no battle-worthy skills. She was just a tent dweller doing domestic chores when the battle began. But still, God chose her to issue the decisive blow against Israel's oppressors. Let me ask you something. What are you just? What are you just? Are you just a teacher? Are you just a nurse? Are you just an office worker? Are you just a business owner? Are you just a parent? Are you just a kid? Listen, powered by God, your just is enough. Listen, I went to the beach um, uh, over the summer. How many of y'all been to the beach yet? Anybody? Okay. One, there's two things that I hate about going to the beach, okay, and sand. There's three things I hate about going to the beach. But the top two are are dragging the wagon, okay? Worst thing in the world, okay? I would avoid the beach just for that task alone. But the second thing is putting up the tent. I hate putting up the tent, uh, but I don't like the sun either, so I gotta put up a tent. So I get out there and I'm wrestling with the tent and there's like 30 poles in the tent that I own and they all have to be lined up just right and sand can't touch them or it ruins the whole thing and you have to lay them out in the sand without getting sand on them and you gotta like string them through the tent the right way and and the whole time the wind is blowing trying to take your tent back to the condo where you came from and so you're wrestling and you're fighting and you're doing everything you can to make this work. But when I was there, I noticed something. See, I don't know if it's brand new or if it's the first time I've been to the beach in a while, but there's these new tents, okay? I think we got a picture of them, Shibumi Shades, okay? I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't really have any idea. But these things were all over the beach. And I started watching because the people that were putting up these tents were not cussing, like I was, okay? <laughs> like they were okay. It took like eight seconds and they were done. They didn't have any problem at all because it really comes down to being one pole. That's it, it's one pole and a canopy. It's just a pole and a canopy, but it is powered by the wind and so it serves a great purpose. You see, if you were to put this up on a non-windy day out in your front yard, it's not gonna do anything. But when you lean it into the wind, just a pole, just a canopy, it's able to do amazing things. Let me tell you something. When we put our just in the right direction it allows us to serve a great purpose. When we lean our just into God, into the Holy Spirit, into what he wants us to do, man, we're able to accomplish amazing things that we're not qualified to do any other way. First Corinthians one, it tells us that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Let me tell you, as somebody who self-identifies as foolish and ordinary, weak, (laughs) We have been chosen out of our just to be used for his extraordinary purposes. He uses foolish people like us, weak people like us, ordinary people like us to do incredible things. Pastor and author Crawford Lawrence, he says it this way. He says, God is making a statement about himself through the leadership assignments he gives you. See, a lot of us get this wrong. We think he's making um, a statement about us because of the leadership assignments that he gives to us. He says, that's not right. God is making a statement about himself through the leadership assignments he gives you. And he does not want you to pollute what he is doing by relying on a counterfeit source, namely yourself. Listen, our resume and our giftedness by design will always be insufficient for God's plans because it's our weakness that causes us to be dependent on him. And it's our dependence on him that allows us to do extraordinary things. See, in God's hand, unlikely people become agents of extraordinary change, which leads me to ask, what assignment, what person, what people group has God placed on your heart? What purpose does he want you to serve? What are you burdened by? You may not be good enough to accomplish all that God has placed on your heart. You may be an unlikely choice to go make change happen in those situations, but don't let that hold you back. Let that propel you forward because you trust and know that God works through unlikely people to do extraordinary things. Here's the second truth. Every tool in our hands can be an instrument for God's purpose. You see, JL had no better tool than a hammer and a tent peg, but that didn't slow her down. She didn't say, well, if only I had a sword, I would accomplish all that God wants me to accomplish. No, she, she surrendered what she had, what she had experience with into the presence of God and allowed him to do incredible things through it. Listen, in God's hand, not only do unlikely people serve an extraordinary purpose, but the tools in our hands, they get an upgrade as well. Can I illustrate this in a nerdy way? Anybody play video games? Good, okay, this is gonna be great. You're all gonna be able to relate to this. Uh, I haven't played video games in years because I have three kids and I'm always putting up tents at the beach and stuff. But when I was a kid, I used to play this game called Zelda, okay, for Super Nintendo. And on Zelda, you would work and you would go into these temples and you would do all these battles and you would do all this amazing stuff that took forever because we didn't have the internet to figure out how to beat it and you would get these weapons, these tools, these resources to use as you did all the things that you were supposed to do in the game. But there was one point in the game that was more special than all the rest, because it was a mysterious pond that you didn't have to fight for anything. You walked up and you literally carried like your boomerang in hand and you would toss it in and you didn't know what was gonna happen and it would come back to you from the ferry, but it was stronger and more powerful than it was before. Okay, so all of a sudden, you're throwing everything you've got into this water because you're like, I want an upgrade on each and every one of these items. And one by one, you received that upgrade. Let me tell you something. That's what God does when we offer the resources in our hands to his service. You see, he doesn't force them out of our hands, and he doesn't always replace them with something better. But he does upgrade them to go farther than we thought they could go and do more than we thought they could do. Let me ask you, what tools are you working with and how might God use them to change the world? See, maybe you're one of those people that right now you're experiencing financial gain in the midst of a season where most people are struggling pretty bad financially. That's a tool that God can use to change the world. Maybe you have a musical talent and you're able to get up here and God can, can upgrade that so that he can use you to, to make a difference in leading people to the cross each and every week. Listen, those are gifts I wish I had but maybe it's something smaller and seemingly more insignificant than that. Maybe you've been through something that very few people have been through. Maybe that experience in God's hand can be a weapon for good. Maybe you have a work schedule that's kind of unique and you have time available during the day when most people are at work. Seems insignificant, right? Doesn't seem like it could serve any purpose, but maybe God is saying, I want to use that ordinary tool to accomplish something incredible. You're able to do something other people can't do because of that. Maybe you have kids and those kids place you in environments that you would otherwise never step into. Maybe you're on ball fields and you're at sports schedules and school stuff and band competitions and all these different things. You're at birthday parties and because of that, if you'll surrender that tool to God's hand, you'll be able to accomplish amazing things, build relationships with people, and God can use that to change people's lives. Listen, 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God gives every single one of us gifts, skills, and tools that can be used to make a difference in this world. They may seem small, they may seem insignificant, but they are divine weapons in the hands of a holy God. Here's a third and final truth that I want you to internalize so it can change you this week. God's calling requires courage listen jael had every excuse in the world not to act she was a woman not a warrior engaging the commander of jabin's army was not in her realm of responsibility she was a married woman whose husband had entered into a covenant of peace with jabin who would possibly expect her to do what she did but while Barack's fear and hesitation held him back and caused him to miss out on God's assignment, Jael's faith caused her to act in spite of the risk. Can I tell you what scares me most from this story? First, I'm afraid to fall asleep in front of anybody that brings me milk when I ask for water. Okay, that's the first thing. But beyond that, what scares me the most in the story is that it shows that because of hesitation, we can miss out on God's assignment for us. I'm scared that I'm going to hesitate. I'm scared that I'm not going to be courageous. I'm scared I'm not going to act when God wants me to act and I'm going to miss out on some of the things that he has in store for me. Listen, if we're not careful, if we're not bold, if we're not courageous, we can miss God's assignment. God's plans will come to pass. He will be successful. He will use somebody else. The question is whether or not we will let him work through us. Bob Goff says it this way. He says, I'd rather fail trying than fail watching. Those are words to live by right there. I'd rather fail trying than fail watching. Listen, let's take a look at that sermon in a sentence one more time. God's work through us is only limited by our level of commitment to him. He wants to use somebody just like you. He wants to use somebody just like me. He gave us tools to be used in his service to accomplish incredible things question is, will we be bold enough? Will we be courageous enough? Will we be committed enough to allow him to work through us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to see you work. We want you to do incredible things in this place and beyond. God, we want the reach of this church to go not just just out into the neighborhoods around us God but but out into the schools and then out into the businesses and then out into the state and the country and all the way across the world God I pray that you give us the courage to act I pray that you give us the boldness to stop saying somebody else is better qualified I pray that you place a burden in our heart that causes us to say I'm the one this is the moment that God has called me to and I'm going to be faithful I'm going to minister in whatever way he calls me I'm going to speak to that person. I'm going to go love that person. I'm going to step into that situation. I'm going to fix that wrong. I'm going to do the things that only God can do through me. God, I pray that you give us an urgency, an urgency to make a difference in this world, to introduce you to a world that needs to see you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.